Hello and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, spirit-filled, non-denominational church and we hope to be meeting in a new building somewhere in the Los Feliz area very soon in 2021. We are in a new phase of lockdown life. The first Sunday of each month will be a live Zoom service at 10.30am. Do join us for those. We found it to be pretty soul-restoring to get together in a way that feels real, virtual as they may be. The other three services of the month are pared down, consisting of just a talk and a song of worship. We plan to provide you with more online worship and teaching resources, and to pour our energies into more personal connections. Please get in touch with us if you'd like to schedule a call, or if you'd like us to be praying for you in specific ways. But in the meantime, join us on our quest to understand Jesus' call to rest. It's both active and essential, and is the place out of which Jesus could be and do all that he was called to. It may well feel like this is the least intuitive thing to be focusing on right now, for reasons we could probably all list, but it is what we believe God is calling us to, a reorientation of our soul towards him and others. We're praying for you and we're here. Enjoy this week's podcast. First of all, of course, I just want to say thank you so much for all the messages of um, prayer and support. Thank you for those uh, that meant so much to us. Um, for those of you who don't know, we all contracted as a family COVID um, and uh, I particularly had it um, very bad. I had to go to hospital. My oxygen levels dropped into kind of the low 80s. So it was a little bit scary for a moment. Um, but we have felt incredibly loved, incredibly supported, and we are all um, uh, recovering, if not fully 100%, then almost there. So thank you. Um, and it is great to be back. It's wonderful to be with you. Please stay safe, look after yourselves and everyone else. Um, and over this last week, actually, uh, Hannah and I, along with Raoul and Sally, our staff team, have been taking part in an online conference uh, which was run by um, Pastor Albert Tate, who is uh, the leader of a church called Fellowship Monrovia, just down the road from Bread. And it's been entitled, this conference, Discipling Out Racism. There have been a whole host of very good speakers, male and female, uh, Asian, black, uh, Latino, white. Um, it's been brilliant. It's been really good. I kind of find um, Christian conferences a bit like going to the dentist normally. Um, You kind of know that you're supposed to go. When you're there, it is not an enjoyable experience. And then afterwards, you kind of go, I don't quite know what the benefit of that was to me. But this, this conference has not been like this at all. It's been brilliant. And we're going to try and work out how we can um, kind of get some of the content uh, disseminated to you. But it really has been um, very good. Challenging, Jesus-centered, intelligent, biblical, all the things that we want it to be. And I think it's just sort of reinforced stuff that we already um, know, but this really is what we need to carry on talking about as a church. This is the primary issue, I think, for not just our church, but every church in this country, to continue to talk about racism, to continue to disciple the church in being anti-racist, and to have these difficult conversations. So just to start with, can I point us all towards um, a book club that we are starting again on Tuesday 24th of February. It's going to start at uh, 7pm, not 2pm, 7pm to 8.30. And the book is by um, Dr. Brenda uh, Salter-McNeil called The Roadmap to Reconciliation 2.0. Really very good book. 
I think we have to do this as a church. I think um, I, I want to try and sort of say this is obligatory as the church. We need to carry on having these conversations, not just because we're Christians and, um, uh, and biblically this is what we're called to do, but also because of the sake of our witness. The world is looking in and the church cannot be silent. It cannot be passive about this. The church should be leading on this. So please, uh, can you all sign up? All the details are online on our website. And let me start this kind of mini talk uh, with a story, a story that I heard during this conference uh, about Malcolm X, the civil rights activist, Nation of Islam dude, and a unique voice to American culture. He's not someone as uh, Christians that we would always necessarily agree with. Many of his beliefs are actually contrary to um, Christianity. But I think it's fair to say that uh, he was a prophetic voice um, and one that um, it's good for us to uh, listen to if we don't always uh, agree with. Anyway, when he was first uh, starting out and trying to recruit people to the Nation of Islam, he would actually target Christians. And specifically, he would go to the predominantly black uh, big churches in Harlem, in New York City, and he would position himself outside uh, on the sidewalk, ready for when people spilled out of the church. And as they did so, he would address them saying, you've been in church for three hours, but ain't nothing about your society has changed. Effectively, what difference has your Jesus made in concrete terms to your community and your culture and the place in which you are situated? What difference has the gospel actually made? I think that is a question we as the church need to ask ourselves regularly and particularly now. Not just about issues of race, but certainly about issues of race. As um, MLK famously said, 11 a.m. on a Sunday is the most segregated time in the American week. Now, things have got a lot better since then, but it's actually still damningly true that that is the case. But it's not just about racism, it's about issues of everything, in fact. And not just about our society, but also about ourselves as well. Church, us, the gathered people of God, this is where the gospel is encountered. It's where Jesus resides, and it's the means by which he and his power is communicated and demonstrated to the world. So, can I slightly reframe the question as well? What difference has church made to you? To you, but not just to you, to the society in which you are situated as well. Now, I know there will be a multitude of wonderful, life-affirming, faith-enriching uh, answers to that question. Uh, quest uh, answers that kind of speak to personal and societal change, to receiving forgiveness and knowing themselves to be loved and adopted by God, uh, to um, instances of building community and healing the sick and introducing people to Jesus and seeing their lives transformed and praying for people in the power of the Spirit to, to be filled with the Spirit uh, and to fighting and winning injustice wars um, for those who are poorest and most downtrodden. But my fear is that also many of us will not be able to point to these things. Or at least we won't be able to point to them recently. Stagnation has set in, and that is a really big problem. Or if we can point to personal change, 
we can't really point to examples of societal change. Or if we can point to examples of societal change, we can't actually point to personal transformation. So let me ask you again the question that I also ask myself. What difference has the church made? What difference has the gospel made to you and your world? Now, the good news is I'm not going to blame you if you find that question difficult to answer. Or I'm not going to blame you yet. Anyway, don't worry, I will actually blame you. That's coming. But first, I'm going to blame us, me, church leadership, the church in general. The truth is that for so many, the church has not equipped them for change, either personally or particularly societally. Uh, just consider what I would uh, think is probably the three uh, main issues that have come to the fore um, just during uh, the, this year of pandemic. I think there are three. Concerns with emotional and mental health, a kind of reignited search for meaning and purpose in life, and of course a reckoning with racial justice, which of course is by no means a new problem. But when we consider those three issues, there may be more. Emotional and mental health, meaning and purpose, racial justice. Where have people looked for answers to those issues? I will tell you where. Not the church. Not Jesus. Not the King of Kings. Not the great physician. Not the one who created the world intentionally for purpose and meaning not the one who destroys all dividing walls, including racism. Not really. Instead, into the void have stepped any number of alternatives. Mental and emotional health, we're told, is solved by self-love, self-care. Neither of which, by the way, I have a problem with per se. In fact, I think they're important. But the idea that all we need to do to, is to love ourselves to be emotionally and mentally healthy is just is ridiculous. The whole problem is we don't love ourselves, not enough, because we can't. We don't have enough love to love ourselves better. Sometimes we do love ourselves, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we really despise ourselves. And that is why we are in the mental and emotional state we're in to start with. Our fundamental need is a love from outside of us a love big enough to heal us. What we need is a love from someone whose love never runs dry and has zero conditions put on it. The only thing big enough to actually heal our minds and our emotions and, and, and bring us to health. Because of infinitely greater value than what you think about yourself is what the God of the universe thinks about you. And when we are able to actually grasp and experience the depth of his love, the love that he has for us, when we are able to drink from the source of all love, that is the only way we're going to have any chance of actually receiving enough of his love to actually love ourselves. How about meaning and purpose? Do you know that uh, the interest um, in astrology is now an all-time high? 
particularly with young adults, 60% of millennials believe in some form of New Age spirituality. And even within the church, one in four of self-identifying Christians believe and take an active interest in astrology. And the pandemic has just kind of uh, set this New Age uh, renaissance kind of on fire. The psychic industry, yes, it's an industry, is now worth more than uh, $2 billion, which is approximately $2 billion more than what GameStop is worth. Little joke there, topical. Now, not surprisingly, I think, as the world is kind of plunged into this sense of chaos, people want to know what it all means. Who are they? What purpose do they have in life? Where is meaning to be found? And Christians are doing this as well. But the only one who can tell you who you really are, what you're really for, is the one who knows you better than you know yourself. The one who made you, who knit you together in your mother's womb. The one who has specific plans for you, who calls you his handiwork, his masterpiece, set aside before any of this ever existed. He knew about you and he had plans for you. He's the boss of all of us. And his plans for us, his meaning and purpose for our lives, does not need to be hidden from view. We don't need special interpreters to specially interpret who we are and what we're for. He has acted decisively to, 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 to remove all barriers to that. And so, at the very best, any engagement with psychics or astrologers or mediums or clairvoyants or, or the like will be a complete waste of your time and your money. And that's at the very best. Best case scenario. Instead, God has not hidden his voice, his call to you from view. He has placed his spirit within you, the spirit of truth inside you. So let us listen to him and no one else. And thirdly and finally, the issue of racism. In uh, 1760, Richard Allen, who was uh, born into slavery, bought uh, his freedom at the age of 21. And very soon after, he became a, ordained in the Methodist church and he started preaching in a predominantly white church called uh, St. George's in Philadelphia. And um, over time, this predominantly white church uh, saw the black population of its congregation grow. Um, but, as this happened, the white leadership of St. George's became increasingly vexed. Their sort of inherent prejudices started coming to the fore. And what they did is they ended up banning the African-American congregation from sitting uh, amongst the white people uh, in their normal seats. And instead, they were forced to go and sit in the balcony. Richard Allen was stopped from preaching to the white congregation at all. He was only allowed to preach to uh, the black congregation. And so this all came to a head at one service in 1793. The black congregation refused to go and sit in the balcony and instead sat in the seats that they had previously occupied amongst uh, the white congregation and they all prayed but the white leadership of the church forcibly removed them, kicking them out whilst they prayed. Richard Allen and the rest of the black congregation left that church for good that day. They went down the street 
found an old dilapidated building to rent and started their own church, what became the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the first uh, and now I think largest black denomination in the world. That was born that day. But it wasn't born from design, from preference. It was born out of necessity, out of survival. It was born out of an escape from racism. Fast forward 130 years, and after the, one of the most prominent demonstrations of racial reckoning this country has seen in the light of George Floyd's murder and many other instances of racism, many white churches still refuse to talk about racism at all from the pulpit. We just need to preach the gospel, they say. Well, if the gospel that we are new creations because of Jesus, his life, death and resurrection and the pouring out of his spirit into all who believe has made us into a whole new humanity, the light of the world, the hope of the world, a new family of God called to destroy all barriers of division, called to bring the whole of humanity to him, where there is neither slave nor free, male nor female, Jew nor Greek, black nor white, for all are one in Christ. If that gospel does not compel you to speak about racism whenever it rears its ugly head, then you do not understand the gospel. So yes, let us preach the gospel. It's got an awful lot to say about the evils of racism. But many still don't. And into the void, is it any wonder that people turn instead to politics or critical race theory or the Black Lives Matter movement to solve these problems? Now, I'm not making judgments about any of those things. And actually, I think we can learn as Christians a huge amount from them, not just um, about the state of uh, how people think and, and, and how they hurt, but also uh, where solutions may be found. However, none of these problems will ultimately be solved by any of these things. A dividing wall has been created since the beginning of time. Because of sin, our own individual sin, our corporate human sin, and the cosmic sin of the time that we live in in this universe, dividing walls spring up here, there, and everywhere. Between men and women, young and old, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, nations and kingdoms, and yes, of course, between races and races. And in 2021, we are dealing with the ramifications of a few hundred years of power belonging predominantly to white people. And it is white supremacy that our most immediate evil uh, is um, needing to be confronted. But the problem of racism is, of course, not new. And in fact, it's there on every page of the Bible, pretty much. Only one person is powerful enough to tear these dividing walls down. And he did it as he stretched out his hands to a world that hated him, that rejected him as he died on a cross. But that power, the dividing wall crushing power, has not only been once and for all evidence to the whole world in Jesus, it has also been given to us. By his spirit, he lives in us, empowering us to bring in his kingdom. 
And this ultimately has been the failure of the church, of us, his church. It's to not be the people of his Holy Spirit. New Testament Christianity is entirely framed around this concept. That same spirit of Jesus is ours. So, all of us, let us be filled with the Holy Spirit once more. Because he it is who grows his fruit in us. This is the ethical part of the Christian life. This is the personal transformation, to be people of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. But he it is also who gives us his gifts. And this is the missional part of the Christian life, how society is transformed. To be people inspired by the Spirit, to preach good news, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, who prophesy the word of God that brings life to those who uh, need to be released from oppression, to declare the year of, the, of God's favour, the eon, the age of his good standing, of our good standing to him, that people can be set free. Now, some people are scared of the gifts of the Spirit. Some people have been erroneously taught. Uh, some people have never had really experience of it. Some people have seen some very strange theology surrounded by the gift of the Spirit. But the most important thing to know about the gift of the Spirit is that they're gifts and they are from a good father. So being scared of them is like being scared of a birthday cake. It's actually my birthday today as I record this. Thank you for the card. I'm glad you remembered. I know the girls have made me a birthday cake and I'm very excited about it. It's going to be coffee and walnut. I don't need to be scared of that because it's a good gift from good people. Instead, I'm just going to scoff my face with it. That is what we should do in all good Christian humility with the gifts of the Spirit. We should salivate, as Paul talks about them, for them. We should long for them because we need them. They're good for us, and most importantly, they are good for the world. The church's fundamental failure has been when it has not acknowledged and it has not taught and it has not demonstrated that the work of God's Spirit, his ethical and his missional work, not either or, but both and, are not optional extras to the Christian life. They are the Christian life. And the degree to which church, the gospel, our Jesus makes a difference to our lives personally and to our society corporately is the degree to which we are living as people of his spirit, allowing his fruit to grow and his gifts to be displayed for the sake of ourselves and for the world. I said at the beginning um, that I was going to get on to blaming you. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten. We'll get there. But before I blame you, and as we, read, uh, as we kind of end, I want to read to you Paul's description from uh, Ephesians 1 of what being a person of the Spirit, being a Christian, literally a little Christ, like him, like him in kind but not necessarily in degree, little Christs, what that means. I suggest um, that as I read this, uh, you address it to yourself, put your name in the place of the use. It's Paul speaking uh, to you. This is the truth about yourself, so make it personal. Ephesians 1, starting at verse 13. You also, you, Ed, also, were included in Christ 
when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit and go on giving you the Spirit. That's the sense of the tense here. May give you the Spirit, go on giving you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us, for you who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, you, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. So, what about your fault? You are to blame, I am to blame, when either we don't open ourselves to the work of the Spirit at all, we choose to run our lives by ourselves rather than submit to the Spirit's authority, to His direction, to His healing, it is a painful thing to allow the Spirit in to heal us, so we choose not to, but we need to be healed of so much, don't we? When we choose not to submit to the Spirit's power, which can be scary, it's outside of us. Who knows what might happen? We like being in control, and when we submit to him, we are not in control, but his power is for us and it's for the world. That's one way in which we're to blame. The other way is when we do open ourselves to him, but we keep it all for ourselves. We are made, you are made fabulous. To be fabulous, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. As that incredible passage from Ephesians points out, you are extraordinary and he's done it all for you. We are, as Paul goes on to say, his masterpieces, his Monets and his Mozarts created before the beginning of time to do, not just to be, to do works that only you can do for the sake of others, for the world in need. So, let us be empowered by him once more and give ourselves away. The world needs us. We need us to be full of his spirit. Let's pray. Thank you. 
Lord, we thank you for your beautiful creation. We thank you for this extraordinary world that you've given us. Its intricacy, its beauty, its awe-inspiring nature. And we thank you for the people of this world made every single one in your image. And we ask, Spirit of the living God, that you would fill us once more, that you would fill us with all the fruit of your Spirit. You would fill us with your gifts so that we might be who you made us to be and we might do what you have created us to do, to bring peace and justice, meaning and purpose, life and healing to a world in need. Come Holy Spirit, come fill your church. We welcome you. Amen. So very nice to see you. Enjoy your week. We'll be back and don't forget, book club, February 24th, 7 o'clock, all the details online. Have a great weekend. Oh